3: What if you can learn how to be in love all the time? What if you knew how to break down your old emotional walls and heal the past? Most of us spend our lives longing for love, waiting for something to happen that gives us an experience of love. According to today's guest, Barbara DeAngelis, love isn't something we can actually get from anyone else. It comes from the inside out. This understanding means that we don't have to wait for love to arrive in order to feel it or for someone to treat us in a certain way in order to experience it. We can choose to be in love, our own love. Barbara is a teacher in the field of personal and spiritual transformation. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: I am delighted to be back with you again and
3: to be here for all of your listeners. Well, you know, Barbara, this is such an important topic because everyone wants to feel loved. And the problem is we look outside. What do you mean when you say that love comes from the inside out and that no one can give love that we don't already have?
4: Well, you're right. Our lives are really defined by love, aren't they? From, from yeah. the very beginning, we're reaching for love from our parents we're reaching for love from our teachers, then we get older, we're reaching for love from other people, and, you know, it, it's delightful, it's horrible, you know, we suffer, we get celebrated, and our relationship with love, and that's really why I wrote The Choice for Love, we each have a relationship with love, with the energy of loving, with how we deal with it, how we receive it or how we give it or how our ability to contact it. And most of us think if we found, quote, the right person
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, or in the right circumstances or if the right person behaves in the right way, <laughs> then we will experience love. But it's our relationship with the energy of love that's going to determine if we're happy, not just in relationships, but how radiant we are in our career, how much we could impact people. And as you said, we think that people give us love. But anyone right now can think about anybody in your life who you ever felt love with or do now. And do they give you a transfusion of love? Do they, you know, give you an injection of love or bottles that you drink? And when they leave or if something goes wrong or when you get mad one day, what actually happens? Do they siphon off the love when you're sleeping and you wake mm-hmm. up and go, I feel horrible. Mm-hmm. No one ever actually gives us anything. Love is, to understand this, you have to realize love, if I ask people what's love, they say, well, it's this feeling. It's not. Mm-hmm. Love isn't even an emotion. It's not even the bond we share with somebody else. It's not even behavior. It's a Tr- supercharged lake drenched field inside of us it 's that vibrational field of energy it 's really the source energy, and you know you 've interviewed people i 'm sure who have had near death experiences mm-hmm. or um you know you know or people who are on a spiritual path and had some awakening experience and what do they always say? They never say, and then there was just nothing you know right. <laughs> they say. It was it was just love. I can't describe it. Or I had this experience of you know God in church, and it was love. So love is that essence, that highest vibration. And if you can imagine that each of us, in a sense, our heart, and our heart is more than a physical heart; it's a metaphysical heart. Um, that our heart is like. The reservoir of that love, a big place where we, in a sense, fill up with it, not from outside, but from that quote source, like a big Mm -hmm. swimming pool or a big ocean. And sometimes it rises up in waves, and sometimes it doesn't. So somebody comes along, let's say your husband or your wife or your friend, and they do some, or your child, and they do something wonderful. And you feel, oh, my God, I feel so loved. I feel so happy. Where did that love come from? They didn't actually add to you. It was your own waves rising up in the same way that if you see an ocean, you know, and you go to New Jersey over the you know, summer or you go somewhere and it's flat and it's calm. And then one day it's really windy and you can see these huge waves and they're dramatic and exciting to look at. But where did the waves come from? They came from the ocean. The wind stirs them up. So I like to say people are like wave makers. Some are really good wave makers, <laughs> some aren't. Some sometimes our people we love make a wave because of the wind of their attention or the but it's always our love. This is a radically different understanding than most of us feel like. And knowing that, as we'll talk about, can change Everything, because if we're blocking that connection to our own love, you know what, and you know this, Joan, no matter how much somebody behaves perfectly, right. we won't even feel it. We won't let it in, and we've all had people like that who we did everything, we loved them, we did, and they just couldn't feel it, and we think, what did I do wrong? It has nothing to do with what we're doing. It has to do with the fact that they've blocked off their own ability to feel
3: Well, Barbara, you're a thousand percent right. Once you understand this, it does change everything because there are so many people walking around today heartbroken and in in so much pain because they've put all of their happiness, all of their emotion into trying to get it from someone else. And once you understand what you're saying, that it comes from within, it does change everything. But to talk about those people, Barbara, that are living in pain, these people that don't understand what you're saying – they build these walls around themselves in an attempt to self-protect. And what happens when we allow that pain to keep us from loving? What, what can we do to tear down that wall? This is
4: one of the most important things I write about in The Choice for Love, and I think why um, it became like an instant bestseller this, the mm-hmm. second the day it came out, because um, all of us, any of us listening, all of us have experienced heartache, loss, disappointment, challenge and different kinds of heart issues in our life. And what we don't realize, and the reason it's called The Choice for Love, is a lot of us every day are unconsciously making the choice to not love, to Mm -hmm. not feel. And we wonder why we're not, you know, happier, why we're not feeling everything that we want. What happens is when we are growing up or in relationships in life. um, We go through hurts, we go through disappointments. And I always say, imagine that each of our unhealed emotions, our hurts or unresolved issues from our past becomes like a huge block of ice. We put up that wall because we don't want to get hurt. And again, we're not blocking anything anyone's giving us. We're actually freezing. Imagine freezing up We're in the winter, you know, now we're coming into spring. So imagine freezing up the flow of that ocean so that instead of it being able to move and you feel it as splashes, you freeze it up because you don't want to get hurt. Block by block by block, we create a wall. And we do things to freeze things up. Every time we say, I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to feel this, we don't heal things. We don't melt, in a sense, things. And the ice blocks multiply. And then not only can we not feel our own love, we can't even feel those waves from other people. We, we live with a lot of numbness, icy numbness, and mm-hmm. that ice keeps us from feeling love and intimacy and connection. And we want to love, but we're stuck. And I have a saying, you know, in The Choice for Love, our protections become our prisons. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, when they hear this, go, oh, my gosh, this, this is so true. And no, by the way, no matter how much you feel you know you you love someone or you care for someone or you've committed to somebody um, if your heart has a lot of that frozen energy it won't flow and they won't feel it and the other thing is haven't we all been with somebody in our life where we we were trying to you know give them love or imagine the warmth of our attention if you want to use this analogy but it's like we're throwing ourselves against a block of ice you know we've all had that feeling where and it hurts when you throw yourself against dice, you can't get through. So what I describe doing in the choice for love is what I call the big melt, how to identify those blocks and how to use techniques that I teach and I've taught, you know, for, you know, years and years and years to so many people to be able to defrost all the places in our heart that have become hard and frozen and defrosting things means that the shape of our issues and our patterns melt. Have you ever been on um, a cruise or gone to you know, a, a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something, and they have these big ice sculptures,
1: mm-hmm. and
4: they look like a duck or they look like a swan or the couple or something like that at the beginning of the night, and they're magnificent. But what happens as the night goes on, as the room gets hotter, is that it starts to melt, and it melts from the outside, not inside. So so it looked like a duck, and now it looks like a blob. You know, a few hours later, it looks like a chicken instead of a swan. And the core of it is still there, but slowly, 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 the hard shape of what it was goes away. This is how all of us can heal our insecurities, our patterns, our issues, enough of the choices for love, the heat in the sense I talk about. And it's not like overnight, we don't feel any issues or we aren't ever feeling sad, but the shape of a lot of our patterns and our baggage begins to melt so that we kind of remember we used to do this, we don't do it as much anymore, and before you know it, we are feeling so much more love from ourselves and we're feeling other people's in a sense, their their energy splashing with our energy that's really what a relationship is it's my love and your love dancing together and you know if you can't be in love meaning your own love I don't care how much somebody tries to love you every day what's going to happen is if they don't do everything perfectly if the next day they're pulled away a little bit then it's up down up down it's a roller coaster which I know is a lot of what many of us experience. It doesn't have to be that way.
3: Barbara, for someone who's listening and says, okay, I get it. I need to make some change. You mentioned some love techniques. Can you share one or two, something to help someone get started with the process?
4: Absolutely. Uh, The first thing to understand is that we're all making choices all the time about our feelings and how we relate to the energy of love. That's why it's called the choice for love as opposed to the search for love or, um, the, you know, you know, the choice to look for love. It's about the choice to love or the choice to find other people who can love me. (laughs) And so the first thing is to start noticing what choices we're making when we are, uh, Scared or challenged or frustrated, or whatever it is, what are we doing? So, one of the, I'll give you some really simple questions people can start using immediately today. So, the next time you're feeling angry, upset, disappointed, um, you know, frustrated with somebody, annoyed with how somebody's behaving, um, anxious with yourself, instead of just going, I'm, you know, I'm having a bad day, you're not just having a bad day, you've been making some choices. So, First thing is to distinguish between two things. Don't ask what's happening to me. ask what's happening in me. Think about that. It's really mm-hmm. amazing you know mm-hmm. so let's say you wake up, you have a partner and um, you're trying to talk to them about something important happening with your kids, and they're busy and they leave go to work and you're annoyed and you're you know pissed off. What's happening to me? is he or she wasn't behaving the way i wanted them to behave they're driving me crazy they're making me have a bad day what's happening in me wow what's happening in me i'm choosing what what am i choosing to do right now i'm choosing to blame i'm choosing to judge them i'm choosing to dredge up everything else they've done in the past week and add it to my evidence bag i'm choosing to shut off how i feel i don't like what they did but I'm just not not liking what they did. I am choosing to cut off the flow of love. That's what's happening in me. And that itself, just to start to ask yourself all day, what's happening in me? What am I doing? Is mind blowing because you realize you're making choices all the time that you actually wouldn't make if you were conscious about them. And then you make you, you ask the choice for love questions. It's really simple. How can I bring more love to you? blank? Why could be anything, and what would that look like? How could I bring more love to the fight I'm having with this person? How can I bring more love to my frustration with one of my kids? How can I bring more love to the challenge I'm having at work? And at first, your mind says, uh, you don't want to bring love, so forget them. You know? <laughs> but then you ask any, how can I, you see, mm-hmm. bring more love to something? Mm-hmm. How can I bring more love to the argument I'm having with my husband? Suggest we take a break. Remind myself in that moment that even though I'm really upset that I love him, tell him I actually appreciate the fact he's willing to even argue with me and talk to me rather than shutting off, which is what he might used to do. Um, You know, Go up even though I'm mad and say, I'm going to give you a hug because I love you even though I'm really not happy with what you're doing. What you're doing is making a choice for your own connection to your own heart and your own love. Because what happens is every day we shut, we, we, in a sense, unplug. We unplug from feeling. We unplug from love. We unplug from compassion. And we do it so often that then we can't find the socket. So we don't know how to plug back in. And that doesn't just affect how we are behaving with people. That affects how we feel because that love energy is the source of passion. It's the source of creativity. It's the source of charisma. So the choice for love affects how much money you make. It affects how people see you. It affects what a good speaker you are or how you present yourself in meetings in your life or your career. It affects what people feel about you all the time because we're always radiating and vibrating actual electromagnetic energy from our heart. And if you're radiating out, and this isn't metaphysical, it's actually um, physics um, and uh, you know, brain uh, science right now. if you're vibrating out a lot of anger, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, you don't have to say anything. You can have a big smile on your face. It doesn't matter. You're putting out a lot of lack of coherence from your actual heart waves. It affects everybody around you. it actually affects the world. So the choice for love moment by moment allows you to reconnect back to your real source of power. no matter, what's happening. And you can, and I talk a lot in my uh, whole chapter about the difference between thoughts and feelings, which most of us don't understand. You can be really mad at somebody and still feel a tremendous amount of love. I don't mean know it, like I know I love them, but but feel it. You can be disappointed in yourself, but not being uh, be negative towards yourself. You can say, I'm not happy with what I did, but still feel that Tremendous flow and connection. And most of us have a not great relationship or a very up and down relationship even with ourselves because we are doing the same thing that I'm talking about with everybody else with how we are. Our love becomes very conditional. How did I do today? Did I exercise? Did I not? Did I do well there? Did I not? And that experience of plugging and unplugging back into our own experience of love is what creates depression, creates anxiety, it creates health problems. So, you know, love really is a living remedy. And this is a very practical thing. This isn't, you know, the, the book is so full of practical techniques and meditations, etc., to actually help you realize in each day uh, how you can reconnect with who you are, what you are. The effect on people around you will be mind-blowing. I've been teaching this for a long time um, because... When you're allowing your own, you know, that ocean to be full inside of you, other people are going to feel it and see it, and they'll actually, it'll actually, help recalibrate them to that same energy. So a love, we all know, that somebody who's loving and delightful can uplift everybody. Think about babies, you know, babies are pure love. Um, You know, all of us started out as loving little gurus when we were babies, <laughs> um, because we, co- they, we come from the source. You can't look at a baby and not believe there's something magical and metaphysical and spiritual. You know, they, 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 it's not just that they look beautiful. There's something, there's a countenance, you see, because they haven't put up those walls yet. It's pure love. And imagine, you know, if there's a baby in the room everyone's clustered around. They're attracted to that energy. Mm-hmm. We want to see that energy. We want to feel that energy. So, instead of waiting for something every day, is something going to make me feel loving today. Instead of waiting for love to choose us, we learn how to choose love, which will change everything and everyone around
3: us. The book is The Choice for Love by Dr. Barbara DeAngelis. If you would like to get more information about the book or Barbara and her work, you can visit thechoiceforlove.com. Barbara, in about 30 seconds or less, what is the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with?
4: You know, we are living in very challenging, uh, troubling, and disturbing times where a lot of us feel we have more questions than answers. We don't have a certain sense of security either you know, in the world outside or in our own things. We're in a time of a lot of energetic velocity. Now more than ever, if we think we've been growing and healing, we need to heal more deeply and let go of more. Now more than ever, if we feel we're loving, we need to learn how to love both ourselves and others more. And I believe now more than ever the choice for love is actually an essential spiritual practice. It's the highest service to our planet and to humankind. It's something we can actually do to uh, not even in any way reflect the things we don't like that are happening around us and to be an embodiment and, as I said, a, a living remedy so that our world, our universe, is a universe of peace and love. And that's the difference all of us can make every single
3: day. Barbara, thank you so much for being here with us today. As I said in the beginning, so many people are searching for that elusive love. And when we learn that we have the power to choose love, this can change everything for us. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your work with us.
4: Well, I'm always honored to be with you and sending everybody um, lots and lots of love.
3: Thank you so much, Barbara. Again, it is wonderful to have you with us again.
4: Thank you, Joan. Much love to you.
3: We'll be right back.
2: Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com.
3: productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is allison carmen a business consultant life coach and author of the gift of maybe offering hope and possibility in uncertain times Allison's podcast 10 minutes to less suffering provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry allison is here today to discuss how to quiet overwhelm welcome allison thanks for joining us
5: Oh, Joan, thanks so much for having me.
3: So the word overwhelm today, Allison, that's an understatement in so many of our lives. So for the purpose of our conversation, how do you define overwhelm?
5: Well, I think when I think about being overwhelmed, you're in the moment and everything that's happening is making you feel almost like you can't breathe. That you have too much to do, you have too much stress, you have too much worry, you have too many projects you have to complete, too many demands from the kids, and you're just feeling like it's not possible to get everything done. But what's so interesting about the idea of overwhelm is a lot of those emotions are us projecting into the future. Many times we feel overwhelmed, not just from everything we have to do, but how is it going to turn out? And what we also do is we take the things we have to do and they become monsters and they become these huge things that – really are not that big. But when you put your whole life together, it's almost like you take your entire life on in one moment. And it's very difficult. A lot of us feel that way. But if we break everything down a little bit, we will see that some of the overwhelm comes from thinking too much about how everything's going to work out in the future. Some of it comes from worry, some of it comes from fear. And some of it comes from not organizing our day to get the most that we can get done.
3: So you just said that sometimes we allow Things to become a monster in our life. So, what happens when we do allow that to happen, when these feelings consume us?
5: We actually become much less productive and we live with a tremendous amount of fear and a tremendous amount of worry and anxiety. So, the quality of our life is diminished. What's so interesting is that instead of breaking things down and being able to deal with each moment at a time, We take it all on and get less done. So that's why it's so important to find a mechanism to deal with that feeling, because that feeling really can take over our lives. And So we're looking at the big picture, and yet we're not taking care of the life in front of us.
3: So you know, I always like to ask you to leave us with an exercise. So is there something that you can offer to us that can help us reduce the feelings of overwhelm so that we can move forward and live a more peaceful life?
5: Absolutely. And the first thing I always tell people to do is write down everything that you have on your plate. And it might sound so simple. How is this going to help me? Well, how it's going to help is that, again, it's when we look at our life, everything at once, we take on it all at once, it feels so overwhelming. But when you break it down, you will see that some of it is just something we created in our minds. like sometimes you have little tasks. Maybe you have to go buy a waste paper basket. You have to buy food. But when you couple that with a presentation and something you have to do for your child, it all seems so big. So when you write it down, you start to see, wait a second, this is not my life. This is not who I am. What happens is it becomes our identity. No, these are just things I have to do today. That alone calms us down. And the next thing you could do is make another column next to that and actually Figure out how long things are going to take you. Sometimes there are five things on your list, six things on your list that will take altogether one hour. So what you're going to do is once you see the time, you're going to take that on. You're going to say, I'm going to put everything else down. And for this hour, I'm going to make that purchase, take care of this, take care of that. And there are five things off your list. And then the next thing you do is also write down how everything's making you feel. Because sometimes when you identify how things are making you feel, you realize I've lost perspective. Or you realize, oh, that's a little thing. I could take care of that. So as you're going through this and you're becoming more aware of everything that has to be done, how it's making you feel, again, it's going to give you more ease and more calm. And then someone could say to me, well, I do have too much to do. But then you have to look at the emotional piece of all those things. Let's say you have a presentation and you're totally overwhelmed by it. Are you overwhelmed by the fact you don't have those five hours? Or is part of that feeling the fact you think your boss isn't gonna be happy? You think it's not gonna work out? You're afraid uh, you won't get the client? Whatever you're fearing is adding to that overwhelmed feeling. And what I do at that point is, I also incorporate this idea of maybe. Because what you can do is, you can look what piece is in my control and what isn't. Okay, I can only complete this project but then I still have the fear it's not gonna work out. So then you ask yourself, am I absolutely certain it's not gonna work out? And we can never be certain how the presentation's gonna work out. We could only know that we could only do our best in that moment. So the minute you realize you don't know it's gonna be bad, you don't know it's not gonna work out, you start to engage in the maybe. Maybe everything will be okay. Maybe I need to do more research maybe things will work out no matter what. Maybe I can handle this. Maybe these thoughts are not true. And as you start to do that, you're just going to start to lessen the fear, lessen that feeling of overwhelm, because you realize there's so much more that's possible. And then you're going to land back in the moment. And the moment is the place that we are the most powerful. We're usually not overwhelmed in the moment. We're usually powerful and centered and ready to take on what life has to offer us. So if you go through this exercise, you write it down, you look at the time, you look at how emotionally things are making you feel, you engage in the maybe all of a sudden you're going to be more present and you're going to be more ready to take on everything that you have to deal with in your life. And it's such an interesting time because the pandemic is making us all feel so overwhelmed and so worried. But if you break it down, you're going to create more resilience and more power and really find strength in yourself that when this pandemic's over, you're going to be so strong and so ready to go out into the world and take on so much more. Because you're going to have resilience, you're going to figure out how to time management. You're going to have less worry, less stress, and more power because the moment will always be by your side.
3: You know, Allison, I love the gift of maybe because it's it's so beautiful because it applies to basically everything we are experiencing in life. It, it really offers such a sense of peace and calm, and I and I don't think you could. Talk to us enough about it. So I thank you for being here and for sharing this because, like you said, we're going through some really challenging times right now, but... There are things that we can do to quiet the overwhelm and to bring peace back in. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, you can visit AllisonCarman.com. Or as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. This
2: is WNYA, Arkansas, New Jersey, New York City.
3: back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Does this sound familiar? You take care of everyone else first. You don't make self-care a priority. You hate asking for help. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you're not alone. According to our next guest, Suzanne Falter, no matter how busy or frazzled you are, you can get back to you. Suzanne helps those suffering from trauma, grief, and burnout find wholeness and fulfillment. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Delighted to be here, Joan. Thank you.
3: Suzanne, let's begin by talking about you and what happened in your life that put you on the path to doing the work that you do today.
2: So uh, I was a committed, driven workaholic, completely disconnected from myself, overproducing in every corner of my life and not taking much time to really take care of my true, deep needs back in 2012. And in very short order, the business I had built burned out because I had too much work and I couldn't sustain it. I started to have some health problems and simultaneously the relationship I'd been in for a year and a half ended and I had just moved in with this person and suddenly I'd lost the place I was living as well. So all these things happened and I was in a kind of a chaotic space. And then my daughter, my 22-year-old daughter who had moved to San Francisco to become a healer and kind of pursue this esoteric thing she wanted to do and she was basically living with me. Uh, She dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. And I had had dinner with her a few hours earlier. She was acting a little weird. Um, As it turns out, she had epilepsy, very well controlled, but one in a thousand epileptics can die very suddenly like this, something called SUDEP. I didn't know about it, nor did she. Nobody had ever told us about this possibility, but there I was. And six days later, we had to take her off life support, and her life ended. And during that time, that six days, I became incredibly aware of what a critical moment this was in my life and that if I was going to live and she was going to die, I was going to have to redo my life to be in balance, to be whole. And I was going to have to live my values. I was really into the money before this happened, which is one reason I worked so hard. And the minute she died, money became intensely unimportant. And everything I really cared about came into very sharp focus. And I felt myself really being called forth to become a better, stronger person, very much like she was, because Teal was the opposite of me. She was really a grounded Loving, compassionate person couldn't have cared less about possessions or ambition or money or any of it. She was very present. She would travel around the world with her little guitar and some cash in her pocket from waitressing. <laughs> she was a musician, so she played and sang on the streets and all sorts of cities. And she was just really very present in the moment. And um, I learned a lot about how to get back to myself and how to live in a much more self-compassionate way in the two years of grief that followed. Because for two years, Joan, I did not work. I just took myself totally out of the equation. And I focused on having a life that was meaningful and, of course, grieving and really getting back in touch with what I needed here and now. And that was Teal's legacy because she taught me how to do that which was really learned from her journals, which she left behind.
3: Suzanne, I had a similar experience. It wasn't with the loss of a child, but in a period of six months, my 23-year marriage ended, my mother died, and my sister died, and that was the start of Mm. all of the work Mm. that I'm doing. So I understand everything that you're saying. I had similar realizations, but what I want to ask you is, knowing what you need to do, and actually doing it are two very different things. How
2: did you pull yourself out from that grief? I really felt like her death was so shocking and so radical that there had to be a lesson in it for me. I, I didn't think she just died in vain. I really felt like my job now as a mother was to become a better person, the kind of person Teal was. And this was how I was going to fulfill her legacy. Because like I said, she wanted to be a healer. Nobody really knew what that meant, including her. But she kept saying, I'm going to get this big healing gift. This healing gift is going to come to me. And we kind of like, you know, Liz nodded politely, right? But in fact, here I am teaching people about self-care and sharing little pieces of her journal and the lessons I learned after her death, which is healing work and i feel like i found the purpose in that crisis and then all those other factors the bad relationship the stressing stressful job the home that wasn't a right fit all of it was taken away to deliver me to my right place
3: and i did a similar thing and david kessler who worked with Elizabeth kubler Ross and, and he's a grief expert. And he recently published mm-hmm. a book, The Sixth Stage of Grief, which is meaning. And he developed another uh-huh. stage to mm-hmm. the model. and And that was what I did. I found this work. And I believe that yeah. there had to be a reason as to why I went through all of those things. So I think finding meaning is really a key to healing.
2: Yes. We're ready for this message as a... You know, culture, as a group of people, as a, as a society, we're ready to delve into issues of meaning, and we need it, and we need self-care more than ever because the times we live in are intensely stressful right. on all fronts.
3: And I know that I experienced extreme mental exhaustion. I didn't know how to move forward. And you and I are talking about extreme situations of grief, but people can feel this way from a variety of life situations. So what do you advise to combat
2: that mental exhaustion? It's so critical to begin with the question, what do I need right now? One of the things um, I write about in the book is, to tune into yourself, to ask yourself, what do I need right now? My premise is that we have um, been, we were born perfectly aligned. Every little cell in our body was attuned towards telling us what we need and helping us get that. And that would keep us in optimal running condition, but then life happened, right? And we grew up and we had traumas and stresses and responsibilities and all of that shifted and as women, especially busy women, we are often much more conditioned than the less busy women to saying yes and putting other people first. So a lot of my work is around helping people get back to their inner knowing, to that sense of alignment. And it begins with asking yourself habitually, what do I need right now? And then maybe it's a drink of water. Maybe it's something simple and you can go out and arrange that for yourself and it'll give you just a little bit more clarity and perhaps confidence to prioritize yourself again. And eventually the question gets answered with, I need a new relationship or I need a much more interesting job. And eventually we begin to gain in our empowerment and our ability to create what we
3: need. And then I would assume we would set better boundaries.
2: (laughs) Right? Hopefully. (laughs) And, you know, I have to do several chapters on boundaries and conscious decision-making and making requests and things like this in the book, because seriously, when we don't have boundaries, everything falls apart. And it is so easy to not have boundaries, because often, uh, as in the case of my childhood, I had to take care of the adults in my house. So I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't know what a boundary was, you know, and I... I was just kind of a a little doormat by the time I became an adult, and I've really had to learn how to do the uncomfortable thing of taking that step and saying no, where indicated, and holding space and being polite. You can be firm, you can always be kind, but you can be strong as well and I was always afraid to be strong and I really learned how to be strong and how to set some boundaries and you know in that two-year period I had some people around me who presented some boundary challenges and I had to be very very clear it was like uh, there were three different people in a row who really pushed my boundaries. And it was like the universe was giving me a test saying, come on, can you do this? Well, i jealous again. Let's see if you can really do this. And, and in fact, boundary pushing opportunities will arise when you commit to the idea that you are worthy and you deserve self-respect and the opportunity to say no when necessary.
3: The book is The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It was a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
6: Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people change their lives as well as organize their homes and offices. Think of everything you do every day. You move, you think, you relate to other people, you have emotions, you make decisions. It's all coordinated by your brain. There is an area of your brain right behind your forehead that is called the prefrontal cortex. This This is the most evolved part of the brain and the part that governs many higher-level functions involving mental control and self-regulation. These are called executive functions and include inhibition, shifting, emotional control, initiation, working memory, planning, and self-monitoring. ADHD, learning challenges, a traumatic brain injury, or addiction may affect someone's executive functions. When executive functions are compromised, the ability to organize is as well. Organizing requires many skills governed by executive function. One is the ability to categorize and identify the similarities and differences between things. Sequencing, or knowing what to do in what order, is also needed when organizing. Spatial relations, the ability to fit things into a physical space, is essential when organizing a home or office. Being aware of one's executive function challenges is the first step in creating organizing systems that fit. Working with you on site or virtually, we can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call us at 201 364 6833 or visit our website at lgorganized.com.
0: When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting, but let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to.
1: Hi, Doctor. Hey freelancer, hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazu with Kinum.com, and today I want to share two powerful full and positive acronyms, NARUCA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about Naruka, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP, the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinnam, Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest-growing segments in medicine. Kinnam will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800-850-5110.
3: It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today to talk about how hypnosis can be an effective way to quit smoking is Mary Beth Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis and sound practitioner and the founder of Metro Hypnosis Center. Mary offers online hypnosis to people around the world. She's the author of the book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So Mary, smoking causes damage to the body, which can lead to long-term health problems, but it's a hard habit to break because tobacco contains the addictive chemical nicotine. As with heroin or other addictive drugs, the body and mind quickly get used to the nicotine in cigarettes. Why do you believe this is an especially important time for people to quit smoking? That's a great question, Joan. And this is an important time to quit smoking because we have
7: COVID-19, and COVID-19 can nearly double the rate of the uh, COVID-19 progressing in people who smoke. So that's really why it's always an important time for your health with smoking because it creates uh, cancers, heart disease, strokes, diabetes. But now having the facts from the UC of San Francisco, that shows any smoker that they did the research of about 12,000 people, the uh, progression of disease and the progression going to go into a critical mode of the disease for smokers was nearly double.
3: And that's really important information, Mary, because we're all looking for ways to avoid COVID, and this is something that's within our control. So let's talk a little bit about when someone wants to quit that person makes the decision what are some of the challenges that a person will experience when quitting right and one of the things you mentioned is that
7: it's an addiction that's that's why smoking sometimes is challenging it's a habit and an addiction with the nicotine so sometimes when people quit and everyone's different because the nicotine seems to affect different people some people i work with have really not a lot of side effects just like a craving but other people go through like a detox In their body um, the sweats and all of that so everyone does that differently but so they just have to realize that um, they need that commitment and but to be aware that there will be some cravings or strong urges for it and that's where hypnosis comes in to help you deal with that to give you the tools to fight it and become the non-smoker
3: so how does that happen Mary how does hypnosis
7: help so um, typically when I work with someone we first create a script about becoming a non-smoker because it's very individual for everyone. So, yes, we can have a generic for people to use, but if you really want to get to your trigger points, um, I actually under- get to understand your habits, um, What's when are you smoking the most in different locations, and then we create the script on that. So we create like a scenario, you becoming a non-smoker, we add positive affirmations, um, and it gives the motivation to quit smoking so at the end of that session I read that to you in hypnosis so we plant the seeds of you becoming a non-smoker and then you listen to that recording um, of the script that I create for you so every day you're getting that reinforcement and the the support because that's what it is people need support when they're quitting smoking and then each session built upon the next we try to understand what the cigarette is giving you What's, what's your reasons? that are the real triggers so stress is one of the biggest triggers and that's one of the things that it can help with so I teach people uh, self-hypnosis to help you stay strong if you feel that need to smoke and that you can push that craving away. How effective is hypnosis in getting this done? Hypnosis is very effective. I can't say it's 100% because it's going to depend on your motivation, your commitment. But I'd say for the most part, what I see in my practice is at least 90% effective. But I always check in with people. I kind of assess people where they are on their journey of quitting smoking and look for a certain level of motivation. So I look for like a six or more motivation to quit smoking um so that they are doing it at the
3: right time to succeed. So it basically helps get to the root cause of why someone smokes. Right. And that's my my, uh, program with hypnotherapy. It's we're really trying to
7: understand what that connection is to the cigarette. What's the cigarette doing? And, you know, if you're a non-smoker, you may not understand that that cigarette is like an old friend. So it's actually sometimes some sadness comes in the sessions. Because you're losing an old friend that's been there for all the good times and all the bad times. It's always been there. So there's an emotional component as well, which I find in a lot of sessions because, you know, not even a person has been there for people, like a cigarette has been there. So it's releasing that and releasing that connection and filling yourself up with more of the positive and your own support and that you can handle anything on your own. Mary, can you
3: offer a few tips to help someone quit? Sure. Sure.
7: Um, my first thing I tell people when they're going to take a cigarette, pause. Try to check in with yourself to see why you're wanting that cigarette. Is, are you stressed? Are you bored? Um, and if you can push away that and distract yourself, that's what I would tell people, to distract yourself and see if that goes away. And a lot of times if you distract yourself, you'll move on. Also, smoke with your other hand. Make it uncomfortable. Put the cigarette in a place that's not so easily accessible. So you have to become a chore to get the cigarettes. Like let's say you're driving, normally that would be your smoking place, put them in the trunk so that they're not easily accessible. So those are some good tips to start weaning yourself and quitting smoking.
3: Mary, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more information about Mary and her work, you can visit her website, MetroHypnosisCenter.com. Once again, Mary, thank you. Thank you, Joan.